Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, Jesus never fails us. This is why we sing. This is why we gather, praise God, and worship Jesus, our risen Savior, who's given us new life. Well, I'm excited for you guys to be here and joining us this Sunday morning. Uh, we are the, uh, Welcome to the Grove Church. My name is Kent. I'm the pastor here at the Grove, and I just couldn't be ex more excited to be opening God's Word with you. Before I do, um, I just want to welcome anybody who's joining us for the first time, maybe online or in person, and we'd love to welcome you and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, in order to do that, we'd love to reach out. If you could text us back at uh, The Grove to the number 97000, that's The Grove, text in The Grove to 97000. Uh, it will give you a bunch of lists of things to say. You're new, click on that, fill out the information, get it back to us. We'd love to connect with you and help you get established and connected here at The Grove. Let's turn to our Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, this is, uh, in, we're in week three of our new series, Rethinking Church. Now, we've gone over Rethinking Church with regards to worship in our first session, and we've gone over Rethinking Church with regards to the mission, or really, it, the church, the gathering, is more than just a sermon. Well, this week, I believe, as we continue on that trend, we think, what better thing to rethink than money and generosity. So hold on to your wallets, guys. So many people, when they approach church and giving or generosity, have a skeptical view of church and money. And that has some good reasons behind it. You, the church's, church history has been just a time and time again just plagued with greedy preachers and unethical ministries when it comes to money. So why would I ever give money to a church or an organization? Now, I've personally been feeling the same way in the sense that like, I've been made feel, to feel guilty about giving and generosity in my life before. And I think a lot of people, as they think about church and generosity, they see the church as just some organization that's trying to separate them from their wallets. But that's not true. I mean, I think I remember when I was in college, I was struggling to get by. I was just trying to pay for tuition, but ultimately I felt like I could not give or be generous. And I remember uh, meeting my wife and walking through, uh, just writing up a budget and doing all kinds of things for the first time. And it was like obvious. She's like, and so where are we giving and how much are we giving? And I was like, well, I don't know if we can afford to give. And that was never the question on her mind. I always really appreciated that about her. I think people focus too much on what the church thinks about their giving and don't think so much about what God thinks about their giving. And I was so concerned, are people going to consider or care if I give or not give? Or how much does the church think I should be giving? But today I want to see, see that generosity is really a matter between you and God, not so much about between you and your church. It's all about understanding how God's resources and blessings work best in your life. And I think when you understand this, the question of how much do I give or with what attitude do I give really melts away. <clears throat> so my hope this morning is for you to understand that when you give sacrificially, you reveal yourself as God's steward and are ready to receive his blessing. 
When you give sacrificially, you reveal yourself as God's steward and are ready to receive his blessing. You have to understand that being a generous people has not always been easy for God's people. We tend to really struggle with this for a long time. Whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God has always been trying to help his people understand his heart of generosity. He shows them through his generosity, through Jesus dying on the cross and through receiving of grace from him. He shows us through the consequences of our own greed why we should be generous. He shows, them, shows us how our lack of generosity has harmed our relationships with one another. And one of the most precise pictures of this, these consequences and this greed and God's instruction to his people about generosity comes in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, at least in our English Bibles. And it's important here because God is writing to his people after they've returned from the exile and they've been doing some really bad decision making. They've made all these bad decisions and God's coming in to correct them. The passage we're going to look at is going to specifically demonstrate how their lack of generosity has impacted their lives in the present tense. Let's take a look at it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. You can follow in your Bible or on the screen with us today. It says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So let's kind of break down and talk about what's happening in this passage, because we're kind of jumping into the middle of the book of Malachi. So here, the problem in Malachi is that God tells his people that they're far from him. They're, they're not near him, right? And verse 5 and 6 describes some injustice and pain the people are causing because of their disobedience to God by choosing to go their own way. Yet still in verse 7, the people then reply to God after hearing this, they still are saying, we're right here. What do you mean we're far from you? We're right here. They might even be asking God to declare what, what was injustice, what, what wasn't correct in what we are doing. See, they think that their outward performance has sat, somehow satisfied God's requirements, yet they haven't. These, these people have literally think, they think they fooled God somehow, pulled over the blinders over his eyes. They're living how they want to live, reasoning their own reasons. So here's God's point. They've been giving him fake worship and false obedience, and he's going to call them out on it. They might show up for a few festivals and weekly religious meetings, but they're not holy. They're not practicing or trying to live to honor God. They're just trying to meet some outward performance. They don't uphold a life of following God and pursuing him. And then God set forth how these people are to return to him by asking a question. Just check it out, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. So they've said, how are we to come back to you? He says, will 
man rob God? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But the people respond, but you say, this is God telling them this is how they're saying, how have we robbed you? And God's going to directly tell them, in your tithes and contributions. See, God says that they've been cheating him from what he's actually owed. They're robbing him. Again, the people are confused at this point. And they said, how did we cheat you? How did we actually do this? And God told them exactly by not giving them their tithes and contributions or offerings that are due to him. See, God longs for them to return to him. He longs for them to return to him, but they first have to change their minds about what, how they're pursuing God and what they believe is right before God. They have to see and reject their own way because they've been going their own way this whole time. They had been using everything God had given them for their own pleasures and comfort, and that included all of their money and all of their possessions. Because generosity goes way beyond money, it includes times and talents. Okay, so they, they were stealing from God more than that, but they were at least stealing from God with their money. I think it's important that we understand generosity beyond money because it includes your time, it includes your talents as you lend your ear, your heart, and maybe even your life to others around you. This is the heart of generosity. Yet let's not forget that generosity is at least money. At least money. And it's at this point we have to consider our first point from the text today as we rethink giving and being generous as, as we rethink church. Here's the point. If you aren't giving, you're robbing God. If you aren't giving, you're robbing God. So definitely I came here this morning to make friends and uh, not make anybody feel uncomfortable. It's not me saying it. It's what the text is saying. And we're not going to ease into this because that's the heart of what God's getting at to his people. Is that by not giving back to him, who's given all things, they're robbing him. In verse 8, it's the sense that God is actually amazed that his people would even do this. That they would be robbing him after he's been so generous to them. His people are cheating him what he's owed. So here's the situation. You, you've got God. Now, he's the, the king of all of creation. And this is how Israel's all seen him. They see him enthroned above. He's the all-powerful one. And then you have these like little foolish people that think that they can actually pull the blinders over God's eyes. And they think they got away with it. So God's kind of letting them know where they stand. This is such a great offense to God, who has been so kind, so generous to his people. Remember, they were rejected exiled, and he's brought them back to their land. He's taken care of them. He's restored them. He's provided for them. Well, how do they repay him? They rob him. It's not my understanding. It's what God says to them. See, in verse 6, God says, in effect, it's a good thing I don't change. You know, because it starts with God saying, like, you know, I don't change. It's a good thing he doesn't change. Because he's been faithful despite their unfaithfulness. God doesn't change. God's still going to be kind, compassionate, and merciful despite their outward performance. That's hope. 
He's going to keep loving his people, even when they don't love him back, even if they rob him. Now, let's get into the, the actual specifics, because I think it's important, because like, people might be a little offended, like, is robbing God? Well, how did the Israelites rob God? Well, there were two primary ways, and the book of Malachi points them out, okay? So the first one is they brought the worst of what they have to offer God. They brought the worst. In Malachi 1.8, it talks about how people were bringing sacrifices of sick animals. They brought sick animals to offer to God. It's kind of like the idea of like, well, if I've got to sacrifice something. I might as well give them something that, you know, is going to die anyways. <laughs> and that makes a lot of logical sense. It makes sense in our own eyes. But to God, that's not the heart of generosity back to him. It's not what he asked from them. They brought him the sick things the broken things, the leftovers. See, I think leftovers, personally, they work great for lunch at work, but they don't make a great way of showing appreciation to the one who's given everything. Leftovers just don't work in generosity. The second way they were robbing God, they failed to give what they were supposed to give. They just failed to give. They just didn't bring in the full offering, the full tithe that God had told them. So what exactly were the tithes and offering for Israel? So let me break this down, because this can be kind of confusing, and this is a very conservative number, but for Israelites to give tithes and offerings, about 10%, 10% was of what they've earned was meant to be tithe. That's what tithe means. So if you say, like, I practice tithing, and you don't give a tenth of what you make, that's not tithing. And that's okay, just don't call it tithing. Tithing is 10%, and that was a requirement put on by God on Old Testament believers. Tithing, they're supposed to bring that in. It was supposed to help the produce for the temple worship to continue on. It was also meant to help the poor and the needy. Israel also gave throughout the year, in addition to the tithe, and by some calculations, the faithful Israelite would give upwards of 25% of everything they would make in the year to God. So these other offerings would add up to another 15%, so making a total of 25% of their total income. So why is failing to give that amount robbing God? Because still that's not clear necessarily, at least to them. Well, here... For us specifically, clearly Israel was called to give that. They were required, commanded to do that. But now I'm saying, even for us, the principle is, if we aren't giving, we're robbing God. But we aren't Old Testament Israel. We don't live under the Old Testament law, so how can that still be true to us? We don't have the same requirements of giving. However, I think the Bible makes it clear that it's still robbing God if you're not giving. And why? It's because everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And Psalm 89, verse 11 says this, The heavens are yours. The psalmist is saying the heavens are God's. The earth also is yours. All of the earth is God's. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And if everything belongs to God, this means that everything we have is a gift from Him. And it also means that we can, He can tell us how He wants us to use it. I think the, the, the core of it is this. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you've trusted in the gospel, 
you, you cannot see yourself as owning everything that you own. This is not yours. You are purely given it to manage. God's given it to you to manage for him, for his sake. And God has demonstrated, modeled what, how he would like you to use your possessions by being generous. And he asks us to give back to him. I think we can rob God very similar to uh, Israel in Malachi. Because if you're not giving, you are robbing God. See, God has blessed us tremendously. Just about everything we have comes from him. And it turns out that we have a lot more than what we need. And it seems that maybe Netflix and Starbucks, no offense, Jeremy, isn't a, necess a necessary need. Though I don't know how some of us got through the pandemic without it. I'll give you that. Maybe there's an argument there. But no matter what, giving is a way to say thank you to God as you give back to him. And this is part of acknowledging that everything you've received is from his very hand. Another way we might be robbing God is to give in a way that doesn't actually cost us. See, God longs for it to be sacrificial. Maybe you give God the few scraps you have, uh, the leftovers, once it's all over, <clears throat> once you've spent through everything you've, you've quote-unquote, needed. Or maybe you only give after you've, hopefully, like you've paid all your bills and you, you haven't prioritized giving after you've bought all the toys. See, this is similar to what Israel was doing in Malachi. See, the principle in the Bible is to give God your first fruits. It's a very interesting idea. This means that you pay God first, not last. Now, when you do this, it ensures your generosity back to God. When you give first, you're not going to wait till the end of the month and realize you don't have any money before you actually give it to him. And then you're robbed of the opportunity to be generous because of poor planning. See, the whole concept of first fruits is about prioritizing giving rather than seeing it as if we can maybe hopefully squeeze it in and the back so that we can be generous with whatever God's given us at the end. See, in this agrarian society, that meant literally the first fruits. So when your harvest came in, you just you took a tenth, right? You took the gift and you set it aside. In fact, that's what the, that's what the, the scriptures um, uphold. Is this first fruit would be the first things. Now, understanding that because we don't live in agrarian societies, that you, know, you don't have a limited amount of grain that's coming in, that, that this principle of giving first doesn't necessarily have to be like a legalistic thing, like if you don't give on the first of the month, that you're not giving God your first fruits. Because I think with good budget planning, your money is kind of all there all throughout the month. You're getting different paychecks, whatever. The idea is that you're prioritizing and you're planning. I think in a good budget, and this a budget will help you do this, it will help you prioritize giving. It helps you really examine the whole and see what you ought to give rather than kind of stepping back and saying, like, I guess we'll see what happens. Because that never has ended well for me personally. <laughs> I've never in the end of the month said, like, oh, I have a whole lot more because I never planned. I usually say, like, wow, I have a whole lot less. It doesn't matter how much money I've made, whether it's just a little bit or a lot. This has been true in my life. The first fruits is about planning, not necessarily timing. And I would even say that we should make generosity to God a priority, even when money is tight. 
See, at this time in Israel, they were in a tremendous economic depression. The crops just weren't producing. Yet God still looks at them and says, give. You're robbing me. And I'm sure many people say that they would give to God as soon as their finances turned around. But that's not what God wanted from them. And I don't think it wants it from us today. I, I, that's been my argument for giving for years. Well, when I make a little bit more, and that's what it was for me in college, I would tell my wife, well, when we make a little bit more, we can be more generous. Well, that may be true. If you don't prioritize it now, it won't come later. See, this passage in Malachi teaches us another challenging truth. And here's the second point. If you don't give, you may experience consequences. The first realization is that you may be robbing God, which might be like, oh dear, you know, like who wants to be like, you're robbing God. No one no one's, wants to rob God. But the second is that you might be experiencing consequences from your lack of generosity. Well, I'm sure you guys all didn't want to come here today to hear that. You know, it's not a typical thing we talk about in church, and I know it makes people uncomfortable as we talk about these things, but we have to talk about money and the consequences of our bad stewardship of money. Yet, I think Jesus talked more about money and possessions than really anything else. He wanted to us to understand what these consequences were. See, Jesus understood that what we do with our money reveals a lot about our hearts and where we're going. I love Matthew 6.21. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. Matthew 6.21, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your time go to you, to fulfilling what you want to wear, what you want to eat, what you want to live in, drive, vacation, etc., then your treasure is going to be here, and so with it is your heart. It's going to reside here on earth, where it will fade, where it will break, where it will be lost. Yet if our treasure is in a place where God is, where it doesn't fade, it doesn't diminish, and it's eternal, then it's a better treasure. See, this is what pleases God, as we give to his mission and the care of others, because that's what God treasures. And that's what he's come to redeem. Let's turn back to Malachi chapter 3. So we left off in verse 8, but some of you might have read ahead these haunting words of verse 9. So check it out. Malachi 3, verse 9, he says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Wow. Since Israel failed to obey God with their money, they were under a curse. That's a pretty severe consequence. Curse. This curse, as we noted, has affected their economy and their livelihood. This is their consequence. They're experiencing an economic depression. Now, Here's, we have, we don't really have a one-for-one one comparison with us and Israel today, right? So, like, it's not like Israel was cursed back there, and we likewise are experiencing a curse. We, we don't have that connection, and that's good news. It's good news. But what, does, what it does mean for us is this, that we have to be careful 
that we, that we don't think that just because Israel was cursed, we can't be. But, but again, again, we, we don't have a one-for-one. One. It's not like God's trying to teach us that we're currently living as individuals or a society that is experiencing financial difficulties because we aren't giving. It's not a one-for-one, one, but it doesn't mean it can't happen either. These words were specifically written to Israel when they were penned. So, in other words, we can't say, well, you can't find a good-paying job because you're not, you're not giving. Or, or you can't put food on the table because you're not giving. But yet, that's what God was saying to Israel. Let's be clear. The point remains true. If you aren't honoring God with your finances, you might be experiencing some painful consequences. These are not always tied directly to having or not having money. It's very difficult to actually see what these consequences could be, but they could be happening. We don't have a one-for-one -one interaction between us and Israel today, but the principle remains you may experience consequences by not giving. And I hope you understand that I'm not here trying to throw stones or stir up trouble because I hope I've already said this, my life has not always been characterized by generosity. I've failed to uphold these er this area of my life more often than I have upheld it. I often look back and see how my life and consequences in my, the life and my consequences of my lack of generosity. Now, one of the biggest consequences of my lack of generosity has had uh, is was when I had no sense that God was providing for me. This is the most tragic part, tragic consequence, and this is what I felt most. I was fearful about money. Honestly, I, uh, I viewed money as something hard to come by because you've got to work for it, you've got to save it, you've got to keep it, but it seems like you can never have enough. I had this scarcity mindset. And I thought only people who are rich didn't have to worry about money. And, and, then, and then and they don't have to worry about money, they could be generous. I can't be generous because I'm not rich. They could be generous because they are rich. In my mind, I could not be generous until one day I'd obtained this ideal of wealth that honestly I had no idea exactly what I was looking for, but then at least at that point I could give. See, I think it's here we have to allow the gospel to inform our giving. So here's hopefully we're adding some more hope into this sermon. See, God has been more generous to us than we deserve in the gospel. His grace and forgiveness come at a great sacrificial cost to himself. He gave sacrificially in the gospel to give us new life. Now, through that, we in turn ought to freely give to one another and to his mission. That should be our motivation. Our motivation shouldn't be based on the fact that like, oh no, I don't want to rob God. Oh no, I don't want consequences. Our motivation should come from the fact that God's generosity to us, and there's no better place of generosity that God has given to us than in the gospel. We cannot allow guilt to be our motivating factor. It's a terrible motivator. We need to allow God's grace to motivate our generosity. As we see God is generous, we ought to likewise be generous. And it's through this kind of generosity, I believe that God can and will rebuke the devourer. What do I mean by the devourer? Well, I'll get to it. Look at verse 11, Malachi chapter 3, verse 11. God promises this to 
Israel. He said, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy your fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. This is the idea that God longs to restore. The devourer was something that God had given as a consequence to Israel's failure. Well, this is what I love about it. Even in that, they're robbing me. You have consequences. God's saying, I want to restore. I want to demonstrate grace and abundance to you. He longs to give back to them. He longs for them and us to move beyond guilt and embrace his grace so that generosity will become a true joy and show true contentment in our lives. Because here is our next point. God rewards his givers. Yet you may, God, if you're not generous to God, yet you're robbing him. Okay, if you're not generous to God, yes, yes, there can be consequences. But the crux of it is this. God rewards his givers. This is the good news that in Malachi. God didn't want his people to be cursed. He didn't want to curse them. He's not some God sitting up there going, you know, I really just want people to suffer. God wants to bless them and help them. Remember God said in verse 6, he tells them that he does not change, which means he still loved them. He still had compassion on them, and he had mercy toward them. He wanted them to experience his very best for them, but their lack of generosity was keeping that away from them. It was causing them pain and shortages that they were experiencing. And I think God likewise wants us to know the same thing. And it can happen to us as God removes barriers and consequences. See, in a negative way, God is, is giving us these consequences. But it's actually turned to be a very positive as he, as he redeems it and he continues to be generous as we respond to his generosity. To think that God longs for us, right, in a spiritual sense, to experience the very best of this new life he has in Jesus. Yet he isn't trying to just pry our money from our hands. But it's part of us experiencing the new life, is experiencing it through God's generosity and us in turn giving it back to him. He wants us to experience the true joy, the total joy, and the total blessings that come with living to honor God in our lives. It truly is a blessing. And it truly is a, a completely different way to live and view money. So God explains this to Israel in a very unique way. See Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is the crux of it. This is his promise. He says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. But God tells his people, bring in the full tithe. Stop robbing me. And see if I don't reverse this curse. See if I don't bless you. But the real question for us as we read this, right, is, okay, if that's something that we need to do, then what are these storehouses, Okay. Because that's a really important question everyone asks. Like, well, what are these storehouses? Well, in ancient Israel, it's a very clear, clear idea. The storehouses were something that went along with the temple. It's where people would bring their 
generosity, their gifts, their tithes, and they would put it in the storehouse. It would provide for the temple. Hence what God is saying there. God's saying that my house might have food. So the question for us today, are the storehouses equal with the local church? Are these storehouses that he's commanding to bring, bring in the full tithe and offerings to the storehouse? Is the storehouse the local church today? Are these where our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, or whatever you want to call it, supposed to come to the local church? That's like the grove. Well, I'd love to say yes. <laughs> I'd love to say yes. I'd love to say like everybody has to give to the local church only. That's the only way you can partner with God. But the truthful answer is the Bible does not clearly and definitively lay out a requirement to give your money, your tithe, and your offering to the local church. That's a bummer. Because for some pastors, it's like a one-for-one. One. It's absolutely, absolutely. The Old Testament temple is the New Testament church, so therefore, you're tithe. And you'll hear this a lot, okay? And so I'm telling you this so you understand our differences with others, not to throw stones, but so you understand what we're talking about here. So some pastors will preach that the Old Testament Israel's temple is the New Testament church. So therefore, bring in your tithe. Bring in your offering. In fact, if you're not, we're going to let you know. And, you know, we might be calling you or knocking your door or whatever. But there's not a clear connection. See, the Old Testament people of Israel, like this passage explains, had a command to bring it into the temple itself. But the local church is not a substitute for the temple, the Old Testament temple. See, the temple in that time was the center of God's mission from Israel. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. It was really about drawing people to the temple. That's why the temple was so important. That's why their mission, the only mission they had, was to supply that temple. If that temple did not have the resources to function, to operate, they would lose their witness to the world. The temple needed updating, needed attention. But this is not like the New Testament church. We're completely different. We're not a come and draw people. We're a go out and send people who are put on movement. We're a mission in motion to all people sent out by Jesus. Our ability to accomplish the mission is not based on our ability to draw people to a particular place. We're not trying to get everyone back to Jerusalem. We're not trying to get a big church in Jerusalem, right? Like, how many times have you told me, like, hey, we're going to be heading back to Jerusalem so we can finally be who God has called us to be? That's not what the church is about, but that was what Old Testament Israel was about. That was their mission. That's not our mission. If the mission is not based on our ability to draw people to a particular place, but to meet them where they are, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't come and set up in the temple and say, hey, I'm having services. I hope everyone shows up every week, you know. God sent his people through Jesus on mission out to share their lives and give the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus to all people. This is so that they can experience this new life in Jesus, that he's purposed, that he's come, that the lost may be found. So, with regards to storehouses, 
Whatever you see God's people doing, wherever God's at work in the world, generously partner with God there. Generously partner with God there. So that leaves a lot in your hands. As we started off today, this is not so much a question of, of your generosity between you and your church or you and me, but really your generosity is a question of between you and God. Where are you partnering with God in his mission in the world? The goal of the church is not to get a bunch of people in a room for you all to write checks or fill out online forms and send in your money so we can feel really good and build, build big buildings and have large ministries. Our mission is to join God in what he's doing as he brings new people to faith, as he redeems people, as he transforms us back into the image of Christ. And this is not something that only one building, one people can do. It's, it's a mass movement that God is doing through his Holy Spirit. You need to believe that what you are giving to has the potential to accomplish God's mission in the world. Not just because you feel guilty, but you should see the vision of what that organization, that person, that, that ministry is doing and believe in that's going to accomplish it. Now, that being said, what about the local church? <laughs> well, I believe in the local church. I believe in partnering with God in the local church, but I, I want to first situate it, right, that this isn't a one-for-one. One. As we come to this, it's a question of where will you give? Where will you do this? How will you partner with God? And I would love for each and every one of you to partner fully and embrace what the local church is doing, like the Grove. But remember, I'm a pastor of a local church, so why wouldn't I lobby for that? Why wouldn't I believe that it's the best place for you to give your funds? There's nowhere in the Bible that it declares that your offerings, tithes, or any other gifts to God in partnership with him on mission has to go to local church first. However, that's not explicit. There is then a sound argument to be made that since Jesus gave the mission to his church, you should partner there at least. That's a preference thing. That's, a, that's an argument that we can make, that we can structure and show you verses. But no verse in the Bible says you give money to the church, right? We see it modeled. We see it happen. But we never have it explicitly stated where we are to give. But I think that if we're looking at where to partner with God, the best place for me kind of stepping away from the Bible, it doesn't say this, I'm saying, I think the best place for you to give your money is the local church. There's no better place because this is where the mission of God should be happening. But here's the key. Wherever you give, find God's people on his mission and partner with him there, seeing the work be done. Don't hold back because of some maybe issue you have with church. Don't be less generous because you have all these roadblocks to giving. Remove those roadblocks. Be generous. Join God in his mission because you know what? God's not limited by money, but he does want you to be generous, to give to him. And I guarantee you, more ministry will be done, more generous we are. Now, I personally feel strongly that the Grove is a great place to give. Now, our heart is to see these lives of people around us transformed by the gospel. We want to be a place 
that people find connectedness and belonging, that people that we earnestly expect that God's going to work as we work together to see lost people found, not because of our greatness, but because of the gospel of Jesus' greatness. Do we desire to be this community of believers who cling to the, gro- to the cross and to the grace of God as we demonstrate it out week after week to, the, uh, 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 around, for, to others around us? So we believe that putting our, all our hands in the middle and giving sacrificially, that we can make a difference. But that's not a command from Scripture. That's a vision. That's a hope. That's a... That's a longing that God stirred in my heart. I pray that he's stirring it in yours. Let's turn our attention back to Malachi. Here God's begging them to trust him. God is begging them to trust him. And his goal here is to bless them. Imagine that. That God's actual goal in all of this wasn't to like take them down and like start like sucker punching them, you know? Like, it seems like God's taking a few shots today, right? Like, God's definitely, like, come in heavy-handed. But here, God's main desire is to bless them. This is the only time in the Bible where people are actually encouraged to put God to the test. So what's this test? So I love this. So God is basically saying, start giving. Start being generous. And see if I don't bless you and do something extraordinary with your giving. Start, start giving and see if I don't bless you and do something extraordinary with your giving. See if you don't reverse your fortunes. This is the hope that God's giving them. I love how he says this in verse 12. It says that the land will be a delight. The current land was not a delight to the people of Israel. It was a blight. It was terrible. It was, it was, a, it was a curse. So what does this blessing and putting God to the test mean for us? We see it in Israel that God's longing to bless them. And again, we have to be careful because we are not Israel. We're not living in 400 BC. This passage was not specifically and um, uh, you know written with us in mind. This is not a promise to us of vast riches and wealth beyond measure here on earth. There's a lot of pastors that might preach that. And they might actually even agree, again, say the storehouses are the church, because that's a really nice way to you know, bring it together. Easy way to fund a church. But God here tells us that he will greatly reward our generosity in all kinds of abundant and stra- extravagant ways. And I believe that is still with us today, because I, I think what Malachi is getting at is God's heart. Uh, it's in a rhythm of generosity. And you know what? Jesus says it again. Just check out Luke chapter 6, verse 38. We see this principle of giving in God's heart in bringing about abundance in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says, give and you will receive. Well, in what way? Like, okay, is it kind of like a return on investment? No, your gift will return to you in full. I love how this says it. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. To be clear, that's awesome. <laughs> and it may seem like, okay, well, I'll do anything to get that. But this is not the heart is like to somehow get more. That you're somehow like you're if you're feeling greedy right now, you're missing the point. 
This is how God has built his world. This is a design, creation design principle of when you give. You, you don't have to even believe in Jesus to experience this abundance. You see non-believers get this. I've seen wealthy people, right, who have a ton of money, who live terrible, broken. Like they feel the weight of the sin and brokenness of money. But I've seen other people, unfortunately, it's really sad because like, I wish this wasn't always true. But wealthy people who are very generous, they're not so paranoid about money. If there's something, a principle that we can tap into and experience a blessing from, even without salvation in Jesus, that God's good grace, his, his common grace can go to others, even in giving. So I love what Jesus is saying. It's almost like he's saying, test God. Doesn't sound like Malachi, right? Test God. Find out. Find out how much he'll bless you. This is a designed principle. This is how God made the world. This is how he made money to work. If you think you can't afford to give, I think this is what Jesus is getting at. You can't afford not to give. You don't think you can afford to give. You can't afford not to give because who wouldn't want what Jesus is talking about? So what does this mean for us? Does this mean that we as Christians should give a tithe? So like, how much are we talking about? Do we have to give like 10%? Well, let me finish. Uh, I'm going to finish today with just a few thoughts about Christian giving, Christian generosity. We see in the Old Testament how there's a tenth, and then there's some other offerings, and so we see it's much larger than even 10%. And people sometimes get really caught up into like, well, how much do I have to give? And, you know, and I think it misses the whole point. We are giving our tithe, our offerings, whatever you want to call it. You're giving it back to God, who has given you so much. This all belongs to God. See, the Bible teaches us that we can never outgive God. See, Jesus in the gospel has become poor for us. He gave up the wealth of heaven to die the death of a sinner on a cross. He died to be our Savior. And see, this should lead us to faith in Christ. And God's generosity should lead to our generosity. Yes, more than just money, even, even, even towards grace to one another. That the gospel should transform us to be so much more generous towards others. That we don't cut each other down the first chance we get. That we don't look to others and try to get them to repay us back. That we apply God's grace generously, even spiritually among one another socially, in friendships, in all things. But more so, and even very clearly, it should be in our generosity with money as well. See, as it relates to this tithing question, we have to understand that if someone's tithing, if you want to tithe, that's great. But don't call it tithing if you're not going to give 10%. I don't care if you're going to 10% on, like, there's a whole discussion. Do you, do you tithe on your, your gross? It means, like, of, like, what you bring home. Or, uh, I'm sorry, your, your, your whole or your net. That's what you bring home. I don't care. But if you're going to call it tithing, at least tithe, right? Like, just do something, okay? But it, it doesn't really matter. But I do think that this principle that God has given us of 10% could be a good benchmark for us as believers. We have idea, like, what, what does generosity look like? Well, maybe it's at least 10%. Because as we see even in the Old Testament, you have Abraham, and we've talked about this from the book of Genesis. Abraham comes, and given the opportunity to give back to God, what does he give? 5%, 2%, 3%. It says 10%. Before there was a law. 
Before all of these questions, before God gave the command to give, Abraham was generous. 10%. 10% was seen as being generous. So I want to encourage us to that. If you're wondering, is there a number? Well, somehow 10% seems like a good rule of thumb. Jesus also, I love this. Jesus didn't tell the Pharisees that they shouldn't tithe. Jesus told the Pharisees a lot of things. <laughs> he, he corrected them in many ways. But you know what? You know, one thing he, he actually uh, um, he encouraged them and commended them on? They're tithing. They're tithing. Maybe it was a backhanded compliment, but Jesus still complimented them on tithing in Matthew 23, 23. So I think tithing is a great goal to work towards, or I would even say start with. We are now in the New Testament able to go beyond the tithe. See, as cheerful givers who have received God's grace, we can give much more than just some legalistic requirement. We should reflect on our understanding of God's grace in our lives and should come up with a pattern of generosity in the same way. And that would be a challenge to come up with even a number. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul is trying to encourage these believers to give to God's mission, to give to a fund that's going to help God's people who are poor in Jerusalem. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. You have to decide. I don't get to sit up here and tell you a number. I don't get to sit up here and tell you all these things. This is a matter between you and God, not between you and your church. You must give as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God, what does he love? Loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want us to feel compelled like, oh, fine, I'll give. Here's the thing. If you cannot give cheerfully, I want you to listen to this. Don't give. No one wants your money. If you cannot give cheerfully, because Giving should bring about a cheerfulness, an excitement of if you're partnering with God. This is a great thing. So if you don't feel that, don't give. If you can't give your money freely, don't give. But if you're ready to experience the best that God has for you, to, to experience what it feels like to be on mission with God, then why not take God up on his challenge and put him to the test? I love this this, this concept of a, of a giving challenge. And so I, I want to present it to you today because you might be wondering, like, we've talked about a lot of numbers and other things. This is meant to be kind of a, an opportunity. Test your heart. See if this is something you would want to do. If you want to do it, that's great. But this idea of the giving challenge is kind of what Ma Malachi is getting to. God tells them, put me to the test and see if I don't reverse your fortunes. It's the idea of giving 10%. You can pick whatever number you want. You can do whatever you want. 10%, we've said, it's a good starting point. It's a good number. If you want a number, there you have it, okay? It's not written down in stone, but it's there. But for the next 90 days, try to give that 10% for the next 90 days. Commit to it. Test God. Write a journal. Keep notes. See what God does. Because these acts of generosity tend to return on you. There's something good that happens in us when we give, especially around money. Because I don't know about you, but money brings up a lot of bad things in my heart. A lot of bad things. But when I give, it reminds me of how much God has given to me. It makes me excited as I think about what I'm giving to. And I'll be clear, 
I don't give all my money that I give to the Grove. I hope you guys understand that. I'm not saying that the Grove's not worthy of that money. What I'm saying is like, I don't give everything I give to the Grove because there's, there's other missions happening. There's other things. And if we were to give everything to the Grove, then we're all going to be really centered on like, okay, so we gotta, we got to give more money over here because I can only give it to the local church. No, no, no. God is sending us on mission, so partner. And if God's putting in your heart to give and is away from the growth, that makes me sad. But at the same time, that makes me excited that you are taking God up on his challenge. But if you don't have a place, a place to give, you're not sure where to give, well, give it to the growth. Because I believe the growth is a place where we're seeing God on his mission as his people are gathered and we're working towards an end. So with that to say, I want to be clear that, you know, we have budget needs and we have things coming up. You know, we've ended one year financially. We're starting anew. And so in, in a couple weeks, as we gather back on the 27th, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. What does our budget look like and what are we doing? I'm not going to talk about it now because that seems kind of weird. But we will talk about it later, okay? That's fair. But we need to start thinking about where you are giving and how you are partnering with God. So if you're going to take God up on a challenge, please do it. Follow through, and you won't be disappointed. I haven't been disappointed. Bottom line, we cannot approach God and money as we already have before. We, it's time we rethink generosity and giving as we rethink church. We need to seek to partner with God in his great mission to help all people experience new life in Jesus. This is not about fulfilling a requirement. It's about partnering with God. So let's join him in that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you so much that you, you've given so much to us. God, as we think about materially living in the United States, God, that we just are so blessed beyond measure living here. But God, we also think about our individual financial situations. And God, there might be people in this room today that are struggling. God, I pray that you would help them see your heart to be generous to them as they extend and risk and, and, try, and, and, and try to be generous back to you. God, I pray that you would lead us in our hearts to know where your mission is, that you would help us see it and identify it, and that we partner wholeheartedly there. And God, I pray that you would continue to hear at the Grove, provide and sustain us as a ministry. But God, we don't look to put guilt on others. We look freely to receive from your people, from those around us, and ultimately coming from you. We're grateful for that. So God, go before us in this week. Help us to see your mission happening around us as we enter in and partner with you. We pray all of this, and we ask that your hand be upon us this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.